Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I am the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to talk about looping solo, and our guest will be Herb Seaton. Many of you know Herb. He is kind of a looper legend. He is a former Harbor Host of the Year. And he is uh, has done the loop solo twice and is working on the third time around. So we'll bring in Herb in just a moment. First, I want to take a minute to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And now I am very pleased to welcome Herb Seaton to the Great Loop Radio podcast. Herb, thanks for joining us today. You're sure welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, and, and I, a lot of our listeners probably are familiar with Herb. Um, Herb is a harbor host in Tarpon Springs and is really kind of um, a looper legend for not just that, but for his uh, solo looping escapades. But let's start from the beginning for those maybe who have not encountered you before, Herb. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your looping experience so far. Well, April, I'll be 82. So a lot of people's worried about going when they're older age, but I don't. I just go because I'm probably crazy. <laughs> I've been blessed to do two complete loops. I did them in 17 and 18. And I started my first loop when I was 77. So don't let age hold you back. In uh, 2019, I went to the Bahamas, then started up the East Coast. And what I did, when I got to New York, I said, I don't need a third loop. I need something new and exciting. So I headed off to Maine. While in Maine, I didn't want to go back to Florida because I wanted to continue on to do that third loop. And I found a slip in Maryland. COVID and Canadian travel restrictions uh, restrictions kept me there for the next two years, 21, uh, 20 and 21. And then of course, last year, I had to bout with that back surgery and kind of slowed me down. But I plan to be back on the boat in April and down to the spring rendezvous in Norfolk at that time. Yeah, and we're excited to see you back aboard. We've, of course, seen you at a couple of our events in Fort Myers since then, um, but it'll great be great to see you back aboard, Phantom. So if I am remembering correctly, it was really not your original intention to loop solo. <laughs> Never. So um, kind of fill us in on how that came about. Well, uh, I was in Tarpon Springs, uh, lived there when I came over from Germany and in about 15 years, I had a good friend there. We talked about doing this loop thing. I had already bought the boat and he said, I'll go with you. And then 14 days before he sent me a text message said, I guess, you know, I'm not going. Well, heck no, I didn't know he wasn't going. <laughs> Otherwise I wouldn't have planned on it, but I was lucky enough to met Joe Blanchard. He was a, a looper a down east looper, he was everything. His daddy and he were lobstermen. They were boat builders. And when he came into Tarpon Springs, I met him and he said to me one time, I wouldn't mind riding on this boat. I said, that's fine. I called him up. I said, Joe, what are you doing? He said, I'm shoveling snow. 
I said, have I got a deal for you? <laughs> How would you like an all expense paid trip in sunny Florida? He said, what's going on? You, there was a catch. I said, well, I need somebody to start the loop. My, my buddy bailed out on me. And if you got time, I would really appreciate it. Joe was down there in two days. We left and 30 days later, I, Joe, and the boat were in Norfolk. Now, it's cold during that time, and Joe hated wind. I never will forget. He kept saying, God, I hate this wind. I hate this wind. I said, Joe, this is great. I can't believe it. He let me run the boat. He never did anything about uh, piloting the boat. He gave me all kinds of instructions. For 30 days without paying, I had a, a captain to teach me how to do the loop. Everybody should get a sponsored captain from AGLCA. They're well worth it. Yes. And um, you're very fortunate that Joe could help you out like that. Um, oh. And I actually met both of you as you were coming through Charleston um, on that trip headed for Norfolk. And that, that was a lot of fun. Um, so you mentioned that you had the boat already um, when your friend was going before your friend backed out. Tell us about Phantom. Well, I thought about one time, about 15 years into my time in Florida, about going back to Tennessee. And I figured, how dumb would that be? I really need to live on a boat to say I've had the whole experience. So I went out looking for a boat, just like everybody's doing now. And around behind the house in Coral Gables, I popped in there and there sat Phantom. I went three times to go back and look at it. Two of those times, I took a mechanic and also a marine engineer guy. Plus, after a sea trial, I owned that thing. Now the problem was getting it home. Oh my God, I didn't know anything about it, nothing. So I called my nephew, Bill. I said, I'm down here. This is your kind of a challenge. Come and help me take it home. And he did. He flew down to Coral Gables. We went up to Stewart and crossed Lake Okeechobee uh, up the west coast of Florida. And there I was in Tarpon Springs. Bill kept saying the whole time about join uh, AGLC and take this thing on the loop. I said, you got to be crazy. I don't, I've been five miles out of Tarpon Springs. That's all. And I'm not going to go any further. I bought this boat to live on. I want to move it. I get me a captain. So when I got back to Tarpon Springs, I read about AGLCA and I said, that's not bad. They need harbor host. I'll just be one. I volunteered. I met everybody that came into Tarpon Springs and I learned what the loop was all about. Decided I got to do this. Yeah. Well, so tell us, you know, about Phantom herself. What kind of boat is she? How long is she? Give us the specs. Phantom is a 53-foot trawler made in 2001. She's got two 455 horsepower Caterpillar engines. That's sometimes good. Now that the fuel is so expensive, it's not that great. I've got bow thrusters in both ends, the bow and the stern. Uh, she's rigged really well, and I'll have to tell you, she has protected my butt several times. <laughs> <clears throat> well, and we really want to focus a lot of our discussion on looping solo, because I know at our recent Looper Palooza yep. in Fort Myers, you hosted a roundtable on looping solo. And one of the things that you found was 
not everybody who came to your roundtable was actually planning to loop solo, but they had some concerns that uh, somebody cruising with them might fall through, similar to what happened right. to you. Uh, you know, and frankly, none of us knows um, when there might be an emergency that causes us to, uh, like it or not, be handling the boat solo. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the tips that you've discovered, you know, the things you've learned along the way that make managing a 53 foot boat by yourself doable. So let's start with locking. What, what tips do you have for those who are considering looping solo and are contemplating how well, in the heck they'll manage a lock? Let me tell you what I do before I go into lock. First thing I do is I check my charts. I look at everything. I look at my AIS to see what kind of boats or tow boats are coming in or going out of there. Use your radar if necessary. You got to learn everything. I check for dolphins. Now these are not the kind that follow your boat and jump around. These are the big things that the big boats raft up against. You might have to stay on one of those. I had to stay seven hours one time. So you need to know everything that's in that area, submerged pilings, old docks, everything. So you can use them if necessary or stay out of the way. Uh, if I'm going solo, I normally call the lock. I tell them I'm solo. They'll be glad to help you. They're not there to hurt you. They're there to help you and make sure you get through safely. I always start from my pilot house down on the bottom. Never try to lock from up on the top. So put on your life vest, get in there, get your saturated knife so that you, if you have to, you need to cut a lock line. Uh, check all your lines and everything before you go in. Make sure that everything's set up. And I have about a 20-foot piece of what I call my locking line, and it's been with me through all the locks that I've done. You just thread it through the midship cleat, run it under your handrail up over the top and just let it sit there until you need it. Go into the lock. Don't try to go in the middle and then get up uh, close to the wall and parallel park your boat. Go right down the side of the lock. Stay as close. If you're going to lock on the starboard side, stay as close as you can. Remember, of course, to get your fenders all out. Some people put them on both sides. I don't. I just like the stress of moving up to the other side. <laughs> but run right down that uh, lock wall and stay as close as you can. Go slow so you can stop exactly where you want to. If it's a bowler, if it's a cable that's coming down, if it's a rope that's coming down, you ought to be able to stop your boat, reach out, and grab that line. So that's about the main things that I do when I'm getting ready. I, of course, have bow thrusters on both ends. I don't need two lines uh, to hold the boat against the wall. I take the one line uh, and I can control it uh, from the midship. And then basically the, the two end lines, not a problem. Mm -hmm. So a couple of follow-up questions to the procedure you just ran through her because we are um michael of course has done the loop solo and locked through solo uh, us doing it together i often wonder how he made that happen um so you mentioned you only have fenders on one side a lot of people will be um, rigged up with fenders on both sides going into a lock in case the lock master wants them on a certain side do you always keep them on one side and request 
to lock through on that side or do you move them based on the lock master's instructions? You know, usually when I go through with a group, Kim, it doesn't matter to me. They're not rushing you once you get in the lock. Mm -hmm. They'll take the time. If there's too many on one side and you need to be on the port side of the lock, you just tell them, it's going to take me a minute to change, but I'll be glad to do that. Mm -hmm. If we're going in and I'm with a group, too many that what most people want to go on the starboard side, that's fine. I've only got a door on the starboard side, but it really doesn't make a difference. I just jump over there, throw me a couple of uh, fenders over there, and I'm ready to go. I've got my little 20-foot line. I attach it to the midship cleat, throw it over my rail, and I can use it to attach to anything. One thing that's really that an experience that happened to me up at Finnell Falls, they have cables a lot of times in Canada. I pulled in there, stopped right on the cable, threw my little locking line around it, tightened it all up. They started to, uh, the lock, I guess, there goes up. And all at once the cable broke. I don't have but one line attached. I do have my... Uh, wireless control for the midship uh, for the uh, bow and stern thruster but I'll tell you that's a real experience when you lose that one attachment to the lock wall but don't panic the lock masters see it and they'll do anything that they can to help you get control back of your boat yeah well and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned so you have a remote controller for the bow and stern thrusters because that was kind of my next question is if you are um, you know, forced to the port side um, and you only have a starboard side door to your pilot house, how do you manage to hold the boat in position with your bow and stern thruster? But so you have a, a remote control that lets you be anywhere on the boat and use the bow and stern thruster. I could use the bow and stern thruster, but I cannot move the boat forward or backward. Right. It doesn't right. control the uh, movement of the boat. I just take it easy and uh, take my time they yep. can't rush me. <laughs> but you know what? That is is such wise advice about taking your time because I think so many of us get into a lock and do through uh, nothing but our own internal voice feel some kind of pressure to make that happen fast. And honestly, nobody's in a rush. The lock master does not exactly. want to move that lock until everybody is secure and ready to go. Um, well, the other thing I think that was really wise that I learned along the way is that it's mostly about uh, the positioning of the boat and getting the boat right up there next to whatever you're, you know, whether it's a bollard or a cable, but I learned, um, you know, I'd be reaching for that cable or that bollard way too early. And if I just took a breath and was patient, Michael would put the boat right where it needed to be, where I could just reach over and easily grab that. Um, so a lot of it comes down to boat handling, even for the person, if you are to aboard, the person handling the lines really just needs to wait for that um, person driving the boat to get it where it needs to be. And that makes the whole process a whole lot easier. Um, this is supposed to be fun. Nothing exactly. stressful. I exactly. don't make it stressful. So, um, you know, obviously doable for Herb, um, doable for many. Um, I get this question a lot, but I'm going to ask it to you, Herb. Um, any place on the loop where you were not able to lock through solo, where you needed crew aboard? No, I, uh, none of them that I went through. I know going up through the Champlain, you'll need extra people. The harbor host up there, I've read, have been really helpful there. If they can't go, 
they'll find somebody to go for you or put you in touch with somebody. So you don't have to spend a lot of money. Wayland down on the south side, uh, <clears throat> uh, I understand that uh, smaller boats can go through without having somebody extra on it because they take a little bit different route. But it's all doable. I recommend people to stay really in touch with the harbor host. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so nowhere on the, the main Great Loop route that you need two people aboard for locks. There's a few on the Welland Canal, which is really kind of um, other yes. than when the Canada border is closed. It's unusual for loopers to do the Welland. And then a few on the St. Lawrence River that are, you know, highly commercial, very large locks. And they want that second person for a reason. Um, but nothing to worry about if you're just kind of sticking to the main Great Loop route. Um, One of the things that I, uh, excuse me a minute, uh, yeah. that I did find in the, a couple of locks in uh, going through the Trent Severn. It only happened because uh, I guess they were ladies and they were the lock masters, but they wanted two lines. And I kept saying, I don't need two lines. I can do it with the thrusters, but they insisted I have two lines. So I don't argue with them. Uh, all you'll do is if you argue with a lockmaster, you're going to make it worse for the people coming behind you. Be courteous, do whatever you need to do. It's their lock, by the way. They can stop you from going. So I go to the back where it's easier for me, and I just pull a line down through, somehow act like I'm holding it right there, but I have the thrusters. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a break and play a message from one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, we'll move on to some tips for docking solo because that can also be a challenge. So we'll be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. Back on Great Loop Radio Podcast, my guest today is Herb Seaton. Herb has done two loops solo and is working on his third right now. We um, wanted to move on to talk about docking because docking is the other thing that if you're solo can be um, a little bit extra challenging. And docking is also the part where um, you can unexpectedly find yourself solo if there's a medical emergency or something out there, more so than a lock. Um, but so, you know, we encourage everybody who's out there on the loop, whether you're the primary person driving the boat or not, to be able to dock the boat. Um, but it's an, an additional challenge for those who plan to always dock the boat solo. So Herb, why don't you give us some of your tips that you've learned along the way? Um, docking in unfamiliar places can be a challenge for sure. Main thing is know everything around you. That's, uh, and, and watch what's going on. Uh, I always, before I go into Marina, I look at Google Earth. That gives you a real good overview of what you're going to be into. One time that I got in trouble, 
it was because uh, a storm came up on the uh, up at uh, Mackinac, and I couldn't get in. And when I finally was able to get into the marina, uh, we had a discussion about slip four. Well, there's four from the earth and four from the end of the dock. So I couldn't figure out what she wanted me to be. And I didn't want to be near another boat. So if you look at Google Earth and clarify where you're going to be before you start into that marina, knowing which fairway you're going to be on, you're way ahead of the game. Then you got to look at your wind, your current, the tides. You need to also see if there's any boats moving around in there. You can look at your AIS and see if anybody's moving or actually use your eyes and see that. Uh, I use a system. Uh, I keep my dock lines always tied, uh, secured on my handrails. <clears throat> and what you got to do when you go into a marina, I've got to get all of those loose. Stern, the bow, and the two center ones in, uh, that are secured to the midship cleat. Uh, I loosen those up. I run them over, of course, the top of the handrail and drop them on the dock, on the deck, I'm sorry. And then when I get, uh, I put a little loop on them and let them drop down close to the water, not in the water because they'll come off and hit your props, of course. So I just want to get them down where the people on the dock can grab them uh, once you get close to the dock. <clears throat> you need to always be in control of the boat and what they're going to do with those lines. I tell them I want my midship lines uh, secured first, not cleated, just secured to secure the boat as I'm moving it around. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I always leave my engines running until they get the boat secured and tell me that it's secured. And I see that it's secured. You never know what's going to happen. Racing engine, big wind comes up. Who knows? So you need to be in charge of that boat while you're there. Once they've got it secured to the dock, you can get off, stop the boat. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of, of, of the things that you shared, Herb, that idea to the way you're draping your lines so that someone can reach them from the dock right. is uh, very smart um, and kind of genius for anybody who's docking, whether you're solo or not. So you've got two ends of the boat, you know, on, on rough conditions, making it easier for people to help you is a, a great idea. Um, did you ever encounter a circumstance where there was nobody available at a marina to assist as you were coming in? Oh, yeah. I, a, a lot. In fact, is honestly to say now, except if, if I'm pulling up sideways, uh, like to uh, a face dock, an end dock, mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather take care of the, of the lines myself. The only thing I have to do is step out of the pilot house take that line and you will learn to loop it around the cleat from the, mm -hmm. from the deck of the boat. You'll have to learn to loop it. I've yes. done it in some pretty swift current. When you're up in Maine that I went to after I did my loops, you've got three or four knots moving on those uh, locks, uh, uh, on those docks. I mean, so you, you stop above it, and you just float down by it, and hopefully you catch it within about two uh, throws of the line. But you'll learn to do that. I always, by the way, 
I always tie my uh, lines, my bitter ends, the end of the line of my docking lines back to my boat. That way, when I get ready to leave in the morning and don't pay the bill, I can just let go and <laughs> step right on out of there. Yeah. And, and Herb mentioned tying up to a face dock. That is the easiest way to dock. So I mentioned, you know, it's yeah. good if everyone aboard has the ability to dock the boat. Um, I don't mean you have to be able to back it into a slip, although that is useful. Um, but there's typically a face dock available. Um, and in an emergency, the marinas will certainly make that available to you. It does make it easier. Um, and, and Herb, you're absolutely right. It does. You do learn, even if you're a second person <laughs> aboard and handling lines, you do learn to to from the deck, wrap it around that cleat and it, it works. Um, you know, it's things that you learn along the way that as a solo looper, you just, if there's an opportunity to practice that before you leave, it's just going to make you more comfortable and confident. Um, another question, Herb, um, Phantom is a pretty big boat by loop standards in general, but especially for a solo looper. A lot of our solo loopers opt for kind of a smaller ranger tug. Um, a lot of the tugs have doors on both sides of the pilot house, which makes you know locking and docking a little bit easier because you could end up on either side. Phantom has one door, 53 feet long. Knowing what you know now, after all these miles under, under your boat, would you do it again the same way? Would you still choose Phantom as a, a boat, knowing you'd be solo? Phantom is so unique. That's why it took me so long to find a boat. Mm -hmm. It's not like some of the little uh, smaller fiberglass boats. Uh, some of the newer boats, they're super nice boats. Your Carvers, uh, even Foster's Bayliner is okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> Now he'll figure this out. He'll he'll hit me back on that one anyway. <laughs> but uh, the good thing about Phantom was she was very unique. Once you go inside, I mean, you're going to live in that boat a lot. And I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about boats, and I wasn't going to move it. I was going to live on it. And when I needed to be moved, my ideal place to be was dinner key in Miami. I wanted that boat to be there for about a year. So I was just gonna have somebody to move me around when I wanted to do that. But once I got to Tarpon Springs and then I'd get on it and move it a little bit and I'd move it with somebody. And then I got to where I could do it at night by myself. After work every day, I'd take that boat out. I'd, I'd the lady at the, uh, at the convention center there from Chamber of Commerce. Once I went in there to get some brochures for loopers, she said, what do you do with these? I said, well, I give them to people that are coming in with boats at an organization that I belong to. She said, well, do you have a boat? I said, yes, ma'am, I have that boat right over there. We could see it. And she looked, she said, oh, that's your big boat? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, we're wondering what you were doing. You're backing in here and pulling over there in another slip and moving over there. And we just couldn't understand what you were doing. I said, ma'am, I'm practicing. And I practiced for a year with that boat. The good thing about Phantom is she's big. She's 53,000 pounds. That's a good thing because they're very slow. But it's a bad thing. They can do a lot of damage if you let them out of your control. You almost got to be a boat whisperer. Joe <laughs> told me from the very beginning, he said, mm -hmm. read the water. And I said, read the water are you kidding me and 
you have to. You have to know everything about what's happening. Speed doesn't work with boats. In a marina, when you're docking, you need to have complete control of that boat. Only one prop, if it's a two-engine boat, turn only one prop at a time, not two. Uh, if you do, you've got too much power. Learn the terminology, bump it. That means one throttle in and out immediately. Just bump it. You want that, that big wheel on the back. Mine's a 32 by 32. And so when both of those are turning, it will move 53,000 pounds. You do not want to lose control of your boat ever. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So a couple more questions for you. Um, is there any place on the loop that you found more challenging than other places while you were solo? So that if, you know, somebody has the opportunity to bring crew aboard for a week or two, is there someplace specific you would suggest that they do that just to make things a little easier? Well, for the people that are coming, take them to Canada and go through the Trent Severn waterway. I did the small craft route around through Georgian Bay. And that is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I have to say, in some comparison, my trips up to Maine were also, uh, Troy can tell you, excellent, just about like Canada. But uh, I, uh, the Erie Canal is unique because it's something historical. If you're going up to uh, through the Champlain uh, to go up to uh, Montreal and Ottawa, be sure and be there on the 1st of July. That's their 4th of July. That's Canada Day. And it mm -hmm. is a, it's a, a blast. Uh, somewhere, don't take them on the rivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's real boring, quick. <laughs> And then the other thing I think some um, loopers have concern about if they're considering looping solo, it's a very social trip. You know, we talk a lot about docktails and the friends you meet along the way, and it is a lot of couples. So from a social aspect, how does looping solo fit in with the rest of, of the loopers? You know, couples have been really good to the solo loopers that I've seen. Uh, usually the Couples will travel in little groups, three, four, five boats at a time. You'll always see them invite a solo looper to go with them if they want to. They've never turned one down. They've got their own little group going. But uh, a good example is Mike Shahey. Uh, he joined a group and basically stayed with him the whole time. Uh, and, and they really take care of solo people. I've been invited a number of times on boats for dinner and to sit around and talk, but I've been also really lucky. You know, Phantom is nothing but a little boat with a big back porch on it. And every time I stop, that back porch is open. It's like a Southern front porch of a house. Mm -hmm. You're always welcome there. And I've had as many as 25 on it. And wow. we have a great time. I'm, I'm very lucky. Well, and we are looking forward to more of those kind of legendary porch tales as Herb has dubbed them. Um, Herb, thank you for sharing some of the details of your solo loops. We're really excited for you to be back on the water and we're very excited to see you and Phantom at the Spring Rendezvous coming up in Norfolk. Thanks for doing this. I'm, 
I'm excited too. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who's watched or listened to the Great Loop Radio podcast this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.